You know, last week we uh, began a new series on heroes of the faith by looking at the life of Noah. Now, I can tell you when Matt uh, and I began to discuss what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks, um, and he shared that we're going to be doing this series on heroes um, as a young adult, right? I'm in the millennial age group. Um, Sometimes it's referred to as Generation Y. Um, But I I grew up in the late 80s, early 90s, um, and there were plenty of cartoons on uh, about superheroes. Um, I remember many of Saturday mornings, and I know some of you young guys are in here shaking your heads, going, yes, I do too. Many of Saturday mornings waking up and watching the cartoon superheroes as a, as a young kid. And it makes perfect sense that now some, you know, 25 years later um, that Hollywood has caught on, right? And they've created these more mature versions of these superheroes. And you've got uh, multi-million dollar films like Iron Man and the Avengers and these Superman and Batman movies um, because they know who their audience is. And I still see a lot of those heads shaking because you've been to the, the midnight showing of the, the latest and greatest superhero movie. As a young adult, I will admit, I like to soak up those things. So when we first talked about this, this series on heroes, my interest was quickly sparked. Yet as I spent some time studying um, our heroes of the faith, I found that there is a, uh, there's a fundamental difference between the, the heroes that are spoken about in, in Hebrews 11, which is often referred to as that hall of fame of faith, and some of the folks that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, um, that there's, there's a difference between the heroes of the, the cartoons and these million-dollar movies and the heroes of the Scripture, outside of the fact that Some are real and some are fake. Um, But uh, the one big fundamental difference I see is this. Now, they all, all these heroes of our movies, of our cartoons, they they have all these these skills and abilities and talents, um, and they have an uncanny sense to be in the right place at the right time. Um, They are heroes by what they do and who they are as individuals. But the heroes of the faith are quite different, right? It's not about who they are. Um, you see, their heroism is seen in their faithfulness to the Lord. They are not heroes because of what they have done necessarily, but instead because of what Christ or God has done in them. Now, a hero is defined as this. In, in, in the dictionary, it said, a mythological or legendary figure, often of divine descent, endowed with great strength or ability. Now, our heroes of the faith, um, they aren't mythological. Um, they aren't legend. But they are legendary because we talk about them today some thousands of years later. But without a doubt, they have been used. They have been endowed with a divine ability. They have been given strength by God. And we see them as heroes because of their faithfulness to God Almighty. Yet what is amazing about these men and women uh, of the faith, these heroes of the faith, is there's little difference between us and them. For the same God now resides within us as Christ's followers. So it is with that truth that we can press on, knowing that we can because God is doing something in us. We can be heroes ourselves of the faith. We can show, um, show our faith by what we do in heroic acts of courage and faith and trust and many other things. So today we're going to open up um, by looking at the story of, of Abraham. Um, now, Abraham was originally known as Abram, which meant exalted father. And later in his life, um, he becomes known as Abraham, which meant father of a multitude. Um, now, Abram was, Abraham was married to Sarai, later becomes Sarah. Um, and he is known as the patriarch of the faith, the, the father of our faith. But Abraham wasn't a perfect man. 
He, he didn't have all the answers, um, but he had favor in God's eyes. And I think this paraphrase of the, the, the book of Romans, chapter, chapter 4, kind of sets the scene well for us this morning as we begin. It says this, So how do we fit what we know of Abraham, our first father in the faith, into this new way of looking at things? It's talking about our relationship with Christ. It says, If Abraham, by what he did for God, got God to approve him, he could certainly have taken credit for it. But the story we are given, and I love this, is a God story, not an Abraham story. What we read in Scripture is Abraham entered into what God was doing for him, and that was the turning point. He trusted God to set him right instead of trying to be right on his own. He trusted God. You can trust God. You see, the greatest act that God demands of his people is simply that, that you would trust him. Now, throughout the life of Abraham, we learn how he trusted God. And the first truth we learn is this, that you can trust God where he calls you to go. If you would, open up with me to Genesis chapter 12. There's Bibles under the chair racks if you'd like to grab them. We're going to be starting in Genesis 12, looking through um, quite a few chapters this morning. But we're going to read right now from Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4. It says this, The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a, a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Now, we need to understand a few things before we go any further this morning. First, think about it like this. That, that last part, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Right, 75 years old. I'm 27. I've moved quite a few times in the last six to seven years, and I'm going, I don't ever want to move again. We just recently moved a couple months ago. I, I'm done moving my stuff. I, I want it to stay in the same place. And I see some of your guys is going, yeah, me too. I don't ever want to move my, my things. But he's 75 years old. God comes to him. He says, I want you to pick up your things and leave. Not only pick up your things, but, but Abraham, it wasn't like he was a homeless man on the, on the street. He, he was a wealthy man. Uh, records would, would show that, that even in that day, he may have had a, a sophisticated plumbing uh, in his home. Uh, he, he wasn't uh, a poor man by any means, so he might have had a lot of things. Um, and God says, I want you to pick up those things, and I want you to leave from this place. And then he says to go to a place that I will show you. So not only is he going to pick up his things and leave, he's going to go to a place that that God hasn't even told him about yet. He just said a place I'm going to show you. He doesn't know where that place is. It's not like he said, hey, I want you to move from Indiana to California uh, or Indiana to Florida, which those two places would be great to be at right now with all the snow on the ground. No, he just simply says, pick up your things and go to the place I'm going to show you. And I love what verse 4 says. It says, so Abra Abram went. He went, picked up his stuff, and he left. Now, I know sometimes stories like this in Scripture can seem kind of foreign to us. So I want to introduce you to a family, uh, some friends of my wife and I's. This is Caleb and Don Christman uh, and their crew of children. Uh, Caleb and uh, Don uh, were the youth minister at my wife's home church when she was a student there and had a great impact on her life. 
Um, but they, they lived uh, in Dayton, Ohio area. Uh, we're at a church there. He was a youth minister there. His wife had a good paying job as a, a school teacher in the community. Their kids were involved in many, many activities. And about three years ago, um, they really began to feel God tugging on their heart to a certain place to go be missionaries in Mexico. Uh, and with four kids, they began the process. And why in the process, they had a fifth child. And just about a year ago, they left for Mexico with five children under the age of seven to become missionaries, um, some 30 hours, 35 hours away from what they originally knew as home. And I think, man, that's a, an Abraham story right there about trust and picking up your things. Remember the day they, they left, they had this big long trailer that they pulled behind a big truck and that was, that was one of those things. They picked up their things and they headed down to where God was calling them to go. In, in scripture, in Mark chapter 10, verse 29, it says this of people that would pick up their things and leave. It says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brother or sister or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. So this morning, the question to you is, is God calling you to pick up your things and leave? Maybe. Maybe he is calling you to be that person that, that literally picks their things up and heads off to a foreign mission field. Or maybe he's just simply calling you to go and to mend that broken relationship with the family member across town or the friend that you've had such a, a, a battle with that you no longer talk to. Or, or maybe it's the neighbor across the street that you just need to go and you need to begin a relationship with and begin to show them Christ's love and, 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 and the gospel. Or, or, or maybe God's calling you to to leave your job, the job that has for so long infringed on being a, a father or a husband or a mother or a mom to, to those children of yours. Or, or maybe it's, it's to leave the, the, the sin in your life, to get away from the thing that, that has been influencing you in, in the negative way. You know, faith was never meant to sit idle. It's always called to move and to go. It's something that is constantly being worked out in our life. So, where is God calling you to move? Because wherever it is, you can trust that he will go with you in that move. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, it says this of Abraham. It says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. You can trust God wherever you may go. But next we learn this of Abraham, that you can trust God to protect you. As the story continues in Genesis 12, verses 6 through 7, it says this. It says, Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moriah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were there in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So here's the scene. He's picked up everything. He's left house and home. He's got a caravan of other family members with him, um, and they're going to this, this land that God's going to show them. And when they get to the land, God says, here's the land. The only problem is there's some, there's some people living in it. The Canaanites are, are there. But you don't hear Abram, um, you don't hear him grumble. You don't hear him question. You don't hear him wonder. You don't see any second thoughts from who he is. No, you, know, you simply, it simply says that he built an altar. He worshiped God. He trusted God to protect him in that moment. 
Bob Russell, preacher and teacher, says this about trust and faith in God. He says, faith is trusting that God's promises are true even though we don't fully understand them. And I'm sure when Abraham showed up to this place, he did not fully understand what was going on. Why are there people here? Why, why am I not allowed to come? God, but he didn't ask those questions. He trusted, had faith in God. Or as Hebrews 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Then it goes on in verse 10 of, of chapter 12 um, saying this. It says, now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine was severe. All right, so he's come to the land, there's people in the land, and he, he kind of makes his, his little village over here. They set up their tents, and they, they're going to stay here, and then all of a sudden famine strikes. I think it's important for us to stop there for a moment and to look at this. Abraham is constantly talked about throughout the scripture as a faithful man as one that, that served God. The New Testament records stuff about Abraham. Seventy-two times you hear his name mentioned and recalled about his, his faith, the most of any Old Testament character in the New Testament. But, but that didn't mean that Abraham escaped pain. The fact that he was a good man didn't mean that he didn't go through difficulty in his life or didn't have trial or, or problems. I think that's something we need to note. You know, earlier this week, we, we learned of some gruesome, some heinous acts that were committed on Christians. 21 Christian men, Egyptian Christians, their lives were taken by this extremist group. I don't know the detail of those 21 men's life. I don't know um, how they live, but I can tell you they must have trusted God enough to give their very life for the cause of Christ. Now, at this current time, I, I don't face physical persecution. I don't think anybody in this room is facing physical persecution. But the adversary of this world will inflict pain. There's going to be difficulty in your life. You're, you're going to have tough times. The question is not if. The question is when will those times happen. You, you see in John chapter 16, verse 33, Christ himself says this. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say, in this world you might, or in this world you could, or it may come about. No, he simply says, in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Which is important because you look back at the very beginning of that verse, as I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. You see, your peace is found in Christ, not in the state of your life or the frustrations that are going on. No, the truth is, sin has its reign. You will experience pain. You are going to go through, through difficulty. You're going to have death in your life, loss, lies. You'll see corruption. You'll experience frustration. But you can trust that God will protect you in the midst of these things. Now it continues on. Verses 11 through 13 say this. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. Say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake, and my life will be spared because of you. You see, in this moment, we seem to see Abraham's faith begin to waver slightly. His trust wanders. A difficult situation sometimes makes us do some things that we wished we wouldn't. It's a reminder that our heroes of the faith were no more nor no less human than we are. 
And Abraham lacked trust in God in that moment and went outside of God's will. He made some silly mistakes, and he did some things he probably shouldn't have done. One being that he, he sent his wife off to Pharaoh and gave her away, saying that she was his sister instead. And at first, it seems that things are all right. It actually goes on to say in that scripture that, that Pharaoh dealt well with Abraham. But that was a momentary pleasure. And when you step out of the will of God and you walk in your own way, you think you have the answers and he doesn't, oftentimes those do um, provide momentary pleasures. Think about it like this. Pornography, that's a momentary pleasure. Drunkenness is a momentary pleasure. Sexual affair with, with someone outside of your marriage is a momentary pleasure. Greed, it's a momentary pleasure. You can get and get and get, but they're never, ever going to bring the, the truth that you think you need. All this stuff is not going to bring happiness in your life. It's a momentary pleasure. Pride, gluttony, lying, you, f- you can fill it with any list of, of sins. It's a momentary pleasure. And the truth is, it will eventually catch back up with you as it did with Abraham. It says this in verses 17 and 20. It says, But the Lord inflicted serious disease on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarai. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. What have you done to me? He said. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did did you say she is my sister so that I took her to be my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave orders about Abram to his men, and they sent him, a, sent him on his way with his wife and everything he had. Now what I like about this situation is even in the midst of his wavering of faith and his lack of trust, is God is still faithful to him. God was reliable to his promise. He protected his wife, Sarai. He inflicted pain on Pharaoh. He had them release, and he let all of them go unharmed from Egypt. You see, God was still with him in the midst of the difficulty, as he is with you in the midst of your difficulty and your trial, and he is protecting you in the midst of that. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says it like this. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. You can trust God to protect you. But also we learn this from Abraham's life. You can trust God with your, your future. In Genesis chapter 15, the story continues of Abraham, and it says this in verses 5 and 6. It says, he took him outside. He is God in this, this, this section. He took him outside and said, look up at the skies and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Have you ever went out? on a clear night, right? Maybe you've been out camping and the fire's finally snuffed out and it's like a spring, summer night and you guys are like, man, I'm wishing for spring right now. Uh, I wish for a clear night right now of warmth, right? Uh, but you really you really have. You've seen that, that clear night. You looked up at the stars. Have you ever really thought about, hey, I want to try to count these stars now? There are a lot of them out there. In chapter 13, verse 16, he, he makes the promise like this. He says, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust of the earth. And I'm thinking, there's enough dust in my office to, to create a lot of descendants, right? I mean, he, he's making a, a solid promise to Abraham. Let's not forget, though, Abraham at this time, we, at this time of the promise right here, he's probably 80 years old. His wife's 70 at the time. Um, they're both well advanced in, in years and and they're being told their descendants are going to be as numerous as the sky. 
But it says in verse 6 that Abraham believed the Lord, that Abraham trusted the Lord with his future. Now the scripture goes on, and, and Abraham attempted to try to fulfill God's promise on his own. And he did something he probably shouldn't have done. Well, he shouldn't have done. Let's just say it that way. Not probably. He shouldn't have done. He, he slept with his wife's maidservant, Hagar. Um, he had a child. They named the child Ishmael. Um, and I think it's important for us to see that, that there are ramifications for our, our sins. You know, in this moment, he steps out of the will of God again. Um, he does something he shouldn't do. And they have this child, uh, Ishmael. Ishmael, uh, we, we trace the Muslim faith. Muslims themselves trace their faith to Abraham through the son of Ishmael. Um, and there are many people that have been led astray to worship false gods through this, this, this descendants, numerous as they will be, um, in the son of Ishmael. And today there is conflict in the Mid- Middle East because of this one sin of Abraham. There are still consequences for our sin. There are still ramifications. Does God forgive and forget? Yes, but in this world, you will still have consequence. You will still see ramification for the things that you have done. But Abraham, he wasn't perfect, nor is anyone in this room, and, and he didn't give up. He, he continued to seek God. Um, he, he got back on the right track, and God was working through his messiness. And at 99 years old, um, God comes to Abraham again, and he says this in chapter 17 this time, verses 1 through 4, it says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. And then if you would skip over a couple chapters to chapter 21 and it says this in verses 1 and 2. It's the fulfillment of that promise. It says, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised. You think about the trust, to, have, to trust God um, with your future, to have a child at this, this age, to have descendants as numerous as the stars. I heard a story of a father and son who were out hiking together, and the son was five or six years old at the time, and dad was walking the trail, and the son was kind of straggling behind, running up the sides of the trail, and, you know, hopping up rocks as a five or six-year-old would do, and he said suddenly he, he heard his son yell, catch, dad, and he turned around to see his son in full uh, Superman mode plummeting towards him, and he said, you know, I tried to wrangle him in, was able to catch him right before he hit the ground, and the dad recalled that he picked his son up, and he looked him in the eye, and he said, can you give me one good reason why you just did that? And the son looked at his dad in the eye, and he said, yeah, because you're my dad. I'm willing to trust you, to jump off the cliff before I even told you to turn around, that you would catch me. Abraham trusted his dad. He trusted him enough to have a child with an 89-year-old woman uh, at 99 years old himself, and he trusted God to fulfill his powerful promise to be with him in the future, and God was faithful. Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12 sum it up like this, and it says, By faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, 
And he, as good as dead, I like that kind of note, and he, as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the skies and as countless as the sand on the seashore. You know, we can trust God in the same way with our future. For some of you, that may be the struggle of your own, the desire to have children of your own. And for a long time, you have prayed that prayer and you've asked for God to, to, to give you a child, but you've not been able to conceive. Or maybe you're, you're trusting God in the face of, of death right now. You yourself or a family member or a friend has been diagnosed with something that is going to eventually take their life. And you're just not sure how you're going to get through it, how they're going to get through it. You can trust God to help you through that pain. Or maybe it's not life or death, but for you it's, you know, how am I going to get through this week? You know, I, I've got bills that need to be paid, the, the rent or the mortgage or, or, or the utilities, and, and I don't know where the money's going to come from. Then how am I going to put food on the table? You can trust God to provide. He will. It may not be easy. There may be some difficulty. But in the waiting, through the pain, in the face of adversity, you can trust that God will provide for your future. But finally, we learn this throughout Abraham's story. We learn that you can trust God to always do the right thing. You know, the climax of the story is found in chapter 22, and that's where we're going to end this morning. Um, At this point, uh, Abraham is going to be put to a test. And in a sense, in this moment, uh, we we see the the culmination of Abraham's trust in God. In God, It reads like this in verse uh, 1 of chapter 22. It says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and, here, and he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. As I read verse 2, I, I've heard this story before. Uh, I've read through the, the scripture before. But, but as I looked at verse 2, and I read that over this week, I just thought, I mean, in that moment, I'm going, what in the world is going on here? This was Sarah and Abraham's um, long-awaited son, the one that had been promised to them. And he's told to, to climb this mountain of Moriah and to sacrifice his son, to offer him up on an altar. The God that we serve, the God of Abraham and Isaac, um, that God that we serve is not a God that takes life like that. In Deuteronomy, it says he did to test human sacrifice. But it says that Abraham trusted God. It goes on in the story in verse 3 saying this, Early the next morning, Abraham got up, he loaded his donkey, he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out from the place God had told him about. And on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkeys while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, well, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You know, verse 3, I think, is key. It says that Abraham didn't ask questions. In that moment, it just says that he got up the next morning and he left. 
They traveled a long distance. They come to this place, the mountain of Moriah. He settles the wood on the back of his son, the wood that he's going to build an altar with, the wood that he's going to light on fire, the wood that he's going to place his son on. And they head up the mountainside. And he note, notes, it says that we are going to, we are going to go up the mountain and we are going to worship. That's the first time worship is, is used in scripture in that moment. Um, we are going to go up the mountain and we are, we are going to worship. Can you imagine the agony of that journey? Not only that, but his son, um, he, he's kind of looking around. He's like, hey, I'm carrying all this wood. He's got the fire and the knife. And he looks at his dad and he goes, hey, dad, uh, where, where's the lamb? We don't have the lamb with us. Can you imagine what went through Abraham's heart in that moment? The agony of what he was about to do? And he says, God's got, there's a peace that seems to be had by Abraham. And he says, God will provide. Then into verse 9, it says this. It says, um, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now take note, Isaac didn't struggle. Um, he, 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 he could have easily outran his dad, right? His dad's 115. He's 15 at the time. Right? We're, we're, I'm going. He's definitely probably going to outrun the guy. He could have outmuscled him. Um, but there, there's a peace, there's a trust that seemed to be passed down. I don't know if Abraham sat his son down and said, hey, son, this is what's going to happen. You can trust me on this. But whatever it was, Isaac had the trust, and he willingly was bound up and laid upon an altar. And then in verse 10 through 14, our story ends like this. Then he reached out his hand. He took the knife to slay his son, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over, and he took the ram, and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. He trusted God. He trusted that God was, was bigger than death. That God had a plan. That God was using him and working in him. And that God would provide another way. And he did. He provided a ram in the thicket. You know, that, that last verse, verse 14, it says, On that mountain of the Lord, it will be provided, is what it is known as to this day. The mountain of Moriah um, would later become the region of Jerusalem. And it was on those same mountain peaks that some years later, another son, the Son of God, walked a very eerily similar path up to a mountain, a place called Golgotha, place we know as Calvary, and God watched his son be bound, bound with nails driven through his arms and his feet, to be hung up upon a cross. No scapegoat this time. There wasn't another way. The only way for the God of this universe to get back into right relationship with his beloved creation, you and I, was for his son to go to an altar and to actually die. 
the gospel account tells us not only did he go, but he willingly went. Jesus could have got out of it. He could have easily called down a legion of angels and said, come, forget me, I don't want to do it. He could have ran away from us, but he gave himself up willingly. What must have went through Abraham's head? When he, he took his son and he, he laid those, 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 that piece of wood on his back. And, and, and can you imagine the battle that, that happened as his, he was taking that, that journey up to the mountainside? The pain and the agony that was felt inside of him. What am I about to do? He must have thought. That same pain, that same agony was felt by the God of this universe when he saw his son hung upon a cross. And the truth is, All we have to do is be just like Abraham. The greatest thing God asks of his people is simply that we would trust him. In Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 5 of the message, it says this, If you are a hard worker and do a good job, you deserve your pay. We don't call your wages a gift, but if you see that the job is too big for you, that it's something only God can do and you trust him to do it, You can never do it for yourself, no matter how hard and long you worked. Well, that trusting him to do it is what gets you set right with God, by God. Sheer gift. Trusting him to do it sets you right with God. That's what we learn from Abraham. A hero of the faith. Heroic in his trust of God. And the greatest act God demands of his people is simply that. That we but trust him. In a moment, we are going to sing a song of invitation, and I'm going to encourage you, if you've never taken that initial step to say, I trust God, I'm willing to, to give my life over to him. One of the first things the scripture would call us to do in the book of Acts, it says that the people were there, they had heard this gospel message, just similar to what we have heard today, that the life of Christ had been taken, and that he had rose from the grave, and they asked, what should we do? And the apostle Peter says, repent and be baptized. And he's saying that's the first act of trusting God, that you would repent of those things, you've, the lifestyle you've lived, and you would trust him, and you'll come and be baptized. If you'd like to make that decision today, I'd ask you to come and see Matt as uh, we sing this invitation song. Or for you, it's, it's been like Abraham. You, you've, you've trusted God for a while, but, but you've, you've wavered a little bit lately. Your, your faith has gotten off, and, and you, you begin to question some things, and you're not sure of what the next step is for yourself, and you're beginning to wonder if this is all true and right, and you're, you're walking out into a land where you don't trust God anymore, and you need to renew that trust. I encourage you to come and to pray and to renew that here on these steps, if you'd like, or I'll be over here by the cross if you'd like me to pray with you. But whatever it is, don't forget that, that basic truth of faith. The greatest thing God would ask of his people is simply that we would trust 